Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Hi. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Emma. Um, hello in the fuddy and hello online. It's so great to be together this morning. Um, as we approach Easter, I wanted to round out our Go Big series. And to recap, this series has really been focused on, um, oops, to recap, this series has really been rooted in the conviction that in the middle of all of the uncertainty going on at the moment, that we need to go big on what really matters. Sorry, I'm catching my breath. I think like transitioning from mask to no mask sometimes, your breathing changes, eh? Um, so for those of you who don't know me, during the week I work as a clinical psychologist, so when I think about making space, what comes to mind for me is the space between our ears. And today I want to ask the question, uh, how do we make space in our thinking for God? So the title of my message, if you're taking notes today, is What's Got Your Attention? And in Colossians 3, 1 verse 3 in the message translation, it says this, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Will you close your eyes with me and we'll pray. God, we thank you that as we gather here today, you know, choosing to take the time to, to focus on you and your word, that your presence is here among us. And I pray that these words wouldn't be my words, God, but today that whatever people need to hear, that they will hear it from you. We love you. Amen. When I was writing this message, I began thinking about all of the things that were my focus growing up, the focus of my attention growing up. Does anyone here have an older sibling? Yep, quite a few. So on the screen, a picture hopefully is going to come up of my older sister, Sarah. Is there a picture? No? Okay, anyway, <laughs> the reason why I had a picture is because we've been told that there's a strong family resemblance between me and my sister, Sarah. And she visited here a couple of months ago to church, and, and instantly people knew that she was my sister. And it's funny, in Wellington, people would often get us confused with each other. People would either pick up conversations with me that that started with her, or people I'd never met, I've never met before would greet me like I was their best friend. But probably one of the most awkward times was when I was in, a couple of years ago, and I, um, I was in the supermarket and I saw my first cousin. And we'd been chatting for a few minutes and, and catching up, and then he asked after the wrong husband and the wrong children. And I realized then in that moment that he thought that I was my sister. And growing up, I loved this resemblance because I was obsessed with her. I dressed just like her. I spoke just like her. I behaved just like her. I was the classic annoying little sister <laughs> who simply adored her big sister. You know, and we shared a room for many years. And then one day she decided that she wanted to have her own room. And I was devastated. 
But I still found my ways, you know, I would sneak into her room and look through all of her stuff and, you know, try and keep up to date with what her current interests were. <laughs> Not something I'm proud of now as an adult, but <laughs> she was for a long time the focus of my attention. And then in high school, I got really into music. By day, I was a kind, shy, clarinet-playing orchestra student who also dabbled in girls' choirs. And then by night, I was a gangster rapper. <laughs> and when I first met Jono, one of our biggest debates was whether legends of hip-hop included T-Pain and T.I. <laughs> When I got to university, my focus became academics, and I became obsessed with getting that perfect academic record. I did every reading, I went to extra tutorials, I studied most of the time, and filled my minds with dreams of having this big academic career, maybe someday being a professor myself. And all this reminiscing got me thinking about what attention means to me now. And I realized that a lot of what I do in my job working as a psychologist is around helping people work with their attention and work with what they are focusing on. Because attention is a big deal in psychology and it's a heavily researched area. Back in the day, attention was seen as this limitless power and endless supply. You know those classic movie plots where like a human gains access to like 100% of the brain's power and they're able to process every, every bit of information and they become this super intelligent crime-fighting hero. It's unrealistic, but it's good entertainment. And this idea that attention has no limits is also where the concept of, concept of multitasking came from, which is this ability to do more than one thing at a time. Women are supposedly better at this than men. I must have missed that gene personally, but... <laughs> the latest findings actually suggest that no human is very good at doing several things at once. And current science tells us now that attention isn't limitless, but it has, a, it has limits around what we are attending to and, how, and the time that we can pay attention for. And enter this thing called selective attention. And no, I don't mean the ability to hear the TV, but not your partner asking you to put out the rubbish. <laughs> Selective attention is defined as the process of focusing on a particular object in the environment for a certain period of time. Attention is a limited resource, so we need to choose how we allocate our attention to different things. Tuning out unimportant things and focusing on things that matter. So how does selective attention work? At any given moment, we are bombarded by a constant stream of information. You know, the, the blare of a car horn outside, the chatter of your friends, the click of the keys as you're typing an email, the hum of your heater as it heats your room. But in most cases, we don't pay attention to each and every one of these sensory experiences. Instead, we focus our attention on certain important elements in our environment while other things blend into the background or pass us by completely unnoticed. So how exactly do we decide what to pay attention to and what to ignore? You know, imagine that you're at a party for a friend at a restaurant. There's multiple conversations going on. There's the clinking of plates and forks. 
and many other sounds that are competing for your attention. But out of all of these noises, you find yourself able to tune into that amusing story being told around the dinner table. This is an example of selective attention. Because our ability to attend to the things around us is limited, we have to be picky about the things that we pay attention to. Attention acts somewhat like a spotlight, highlighting the details that are important to us, um, that we want to focus on and putting the rest of it aside. If attention isn't a limitless resource, my challenge today is, is what we're paying attention to, is what we're focused on helping us, hindering us, or not really making a difference at all? Colossians says, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't be absorbed with the things right in front of you. Today, I want to ask the question, what's got your attention? And three aspects I want to talk about is, you know, we share attention, we pay attention, and we become our attention. So point number one, we share attention. We've all heard the age-old saying, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And A.W. Tozer, when he talks about his seven rules for self-discovery, one of the ones that he highlights is the company that you enjoy. The company you keep tells a whole lot about you. In fact, who you're around shapes who you are. What those around you have their attention focused on will influence what your attention is focused on. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Turns out the Bible had something to say about our social lives. And psychology has recently caught up with the Bible too, with the latest research showing that positive social relationships and groups can encourage healthy choices and behaviours, help us cope better with stress and improve motivation. Being connected to others who are attending to the same thing in pursuit of the same goal is good for us. When we intentionally put ourselves around people, we pick up stuff from them. Who are you surrounding yourself with? We are relational. A central theme of God's word is relationships. We are hardwired with a desire to be in connection with people. It's not just you and God versus the world. You're never going to get to your destination if, if you're doing it alone. But a lot of our friends come into our life by default and not design. And our relationships hugely impact on what we're focusing on because attention is shared. Who are you sharing your attention with and what is your collective focus on? Are you only sharing attentions on, attention on jobs, on fitness, on family, on wealth? These are all good things. But if that's all our attention on, is on, that will be what we pursue. If you look at your five closest friends, is their spirituality, their relationship with God, something to aspire to? If not, you know, who are you sharing your attention with that's helping you move in the direction that you want to go? Or are you stuck going around in circles with the company that you keep, you know, stuck in destructive cycles? stuck with plenty of aspirations but no follow-through. Because our attention isn't just our own, it's something that we're sharing. 
which reminded me how grateful I am for this community. It reminded me of my e-group. You know, Jono and I have an amazing e-group. We love the community and the people in there. Some might say we think our e-group is the best, but I know that will be up for debate. <laughs> and every time we meet, my attention, my focus, is drawn to the incredible people sitting in our living room. I realize how much these people challenge me, inspire me to pursue the things over which Christ presides, to focus my perspective on how God sees things. People like Pat and Debbie, who are such great examples of the gospel applied to life. They're a bright spot in their community and they're never shy to bring a word of encouragement. People like Steph, who consistently champions others, loving them, serving them, whether it be loving her friends and family, her work, you know, leading in our massive program. People like Erin, who is always mindful of those who might be on the outside, who's always looking for a chance to love others. And that's not even everyone. And that's what community is all about. That's what e-groups are all about. It's about putting yourself in the proximity of people that help you focus and attend to the things that matter, the things over which Christ presides. That's why we do life together. So who are you sharing with attention with today? But we don't just magically become a certain type of person based on proximity, which leads me into my second point, which is we pay attention. Have you ever heard of people trying to learn things in their sleep? Jono was one of these people. <laughs> In uni, he was a bit overstudying, and so he gave it a shot. And the concept is that your brain would just absorb information while snoozing, and then you'd kind of wake up just knowing that information. Unfortunately for him, <laughs> it didn't work, and he had to put in, you know, the hard work of studying to achieve passing his exams. But you know that this feeling of just wishing that we could magically learn things or just become the people that we want to be? Pursuing those things over which Christ presides simply by, I don't know, playing worship music or listening to sermons in our sleep. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing, but attention doesn't just happen. We've all been told to pay attention because attention is something that we actively give. We have to actively direct it towards something. And as important as the people that we surround ourselves with are, at some stage, we have to take the responsibility for what we focus on and realize that our attention is up to us. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, in the message version, says, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. I recently heard a saying which simply said, rubbish in, rubbish out. If I put rubbish into my life, then rubbish is going to come out of my life. And society can feed us a whole lot of rubbish. We have constant access to technology, phones, social media, entertainment, advertising, we have so many things competing for our attention. 
what are we going to pay attention to? You know, if we're feeling anxious or unsettled or overwhelmed by the state of the world at the moment, but we find ourselves constantly flicking through news sites and social media highlighting war, sickness, political drama, crime, the state of the housing market, and we don't balance that out with the word of God that says, you know, for example, in Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Or Isaiah 41 verse 10, which says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. Should we be surprised if we aren't experiencing peace or hope right now? It can seem like a good idea to learn scripture. But what if we realize that it's actually essential for our well-being? You know, Joshua 1 verse 8 says, And don't for a minute let this book of the Revelation be out of mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice everything written in it. Then you'll get to where you're going. Then you'll succeed. This got me thinking again about my work as a psychologist, and I... I wonder sometimes if the consequences of living in a society where the focus is constantly pushed back on ourselves has left people feeling empty and lacking meaning. A lot of my work involves helping people reconnect to their values, things that are important and meaningful for them, and helping people build these back into their lives. I reflect on the fact that trying to spread our attention thin across all of these things that society deems as success has left people anxious, depressed, numb, absent. And in response to this, a lot of my work involves helping people slow down and be present, noticing the things that are happening both inside them and around them, learning the skills to actively direct their attention. And I've been there before, rubbish in, rubbish out. You know, we receive something, then we release it. We get filled up so that we can spill it out. (laughs) So what goes into me is really important because if what goes into me is toxic, then it can rot me from the inside out and then spill out to those around me. You know, what are you feeding yourself with? What are you taking in? What are you receiving? Is it rotting you, deteriorating you? Or is it rooting you in something positive, something firm, and something constant, something powerful? What are you paying attention to? Because if you're not actively choosing to pay attention, your attention will be taken, and probably not by what you want to be focusing on. Which leads me to my third point, and I'm going to invite the band up because we're going to go back into some worship soon. My third point is we become our attention. Often one of the best ways of knowing what our attention is is on is by looking at our behavior. Because whatever we pay attention to, we become more like, which then directly impacts on what we do. Looking back at my behavior across the different stages of my life, it's quite obvious what my attention was on. 
my obsession with my sister (laughs) resulted in me trying to become just like her, dressing like her, trying to talk like her, trying to be good at the things that she was good at. I've been the, there's been a family joke for many years now of my sister's a really good artist and that was not a skill set that I inherited myself. There's a, um, a joke of a straight-backed cat that I tried to draw <laughs> um, that I will never live down. When my attention was what was on what I thought was gangster rap, <laughs> let's just say, you know, hypothetically, <clears throat> that there may be photos from a, from a birthday party that had a certain theme that will never, ever see the light of day. (laughs) I really cringe to think what it would have been like if social media was around back in my day. (laughs) When my attention was on academics, it was evident in my time spent in the library and my lack of other activities. (laughs) Because where our attention is directly affects our behavior. If our attention is on meeting standards of the world, pursuing the things right in front of us, jumping from distraction to distraction, our behavior will reflect this. You know, the philosopher Aristotle says, we are what we repeatedly do. What story are your actions telling? You know, what do you want your life's focus to be on? If someone looked at your life from the outside, would they be able to tell what you're trying to focus on? But the beautiful part is that you and I, we get to determine where our attention will be put, what we pursue, what we're going after. I know what it's like to have my attention pursuing things right in front of me, feeling frustrated that things in my life aren't working out how I want them to. I know what it's like to have shared attention, to have paid attention to the wrong things. And not wrong because it was bad, but just wrong because it left me empty. But I also know what it's like to have lifted my attention to see things from God's perspective, to pursue those things over which He presides. I know what it's like to have found something that I can set my eyes on, my attention on, 100% of the time, something that will never let me down. And in a moment, we're going to turn our attention to Jesus through worship. Because church, the amazing truth of the gospel is that while our attention may wander from God, God's attention, His focus will never wander from you. You want to know what God thinks about you? In Isaiah 54 verse 10, it says, For even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. You know what comes to God's mind when he thinks about you? His love for you. Even if the impossible were to happen, the mountains crumbling at God's feet, God's love for you remains constant. See, God's not searching for his focus. God has found his focus and his focus is you. What comes to his mind is you. Jesus' willingness to come down to earth and to die on a cross and to take everything that we deserved, 
It's the loudest public declaration somebody could ever make. He's saying, my focus, my attention is on you. Will you put your attention on me? You know, I'm really passionate about praise and worship in church. But if the only time you're turning your attention towards God is on a Sunday morning, then don't be surprised if we're looking more like all the other things that we're paying attention to. You know, and in a moment, we're gonna take some time to turn our attention towards Jesus. One of the important aspects of this time of year of Easter and Lent is, you know, considering afresh what Jesus has done. And it's really important that we leave today knowing what it feels like to turn our attention towards Jesus. But please remember, worship helps to catch our attention. But attention is shared. Who are you surrounding yourself with that helps you to direct your focus on things above and not beneath, on the true and the beautiful? And that we pay attention. It's not something that just happens. It's not just in those moments of worship in an environment like this. It's in the still, small moments. It's in the frantic moments, the pressured moments. It's in the monotonous moments, the meaningful moments. We choose to focus on Jesus. To not just worry about things, but to pray. To rely on Christ. To make Him an integral part of our lives. We all need to continue developing this habit of turning our attention to God. You know, a practice that we can start here and then continue in our own lives. Church, could we stand together as the team lead us back into a time of worship? You know, I encourage you in this moment to do whatever you need to do to direct your attention towards Jesus. You know, this is your moment. Don't worry about who's surrounding you. I'm just gonna pray. If you feel comfortable, why don't you lift your hands as a sign of surrender? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here to move. Would you help us to be aware of your presence right now? Would you, be, would you help us to be a people who choose to lift our attention to where you're moving, to what you're doing, to who you've called us to become? In this moment, we wait on you. We invite you to speak. We surrender every situation we're going through, every feeling we might be wrestling with, and we ask you to direct, and we, we ask you to direct our attention towards you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.